Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's something about the, I've always felt like Tom Petty was 15 years ahead of me, warning me about what was about to come. Like his records right. felt like warnings from the future. Like when you get to this age, here are the things that'll drown you if you're not careful. And I'm, I'm still, I'm, I continue to be surprised at how choked up I am that he's not there to make that next record to help me figure out what's coming next. 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. Ben Barton in Knoxville, Tennessee. Dancing, loving it. Beautiful uh, fall day. Beautiful fall day. is. Uh, what's the weather situation, Jeff Simons, in Berkeley, California? It's actually beautiful. We had a little heat wave come through, but today oh, was one of those days that, like, where California does what it does. It oh, great. right. No more Armageddon. Uh, well, this is uh, 50 uh, give, years of Give music. it a minute. <laughs> <laughs> With 50-year-old white guys. We're part of the Drive-In Podcast Network, where you can find all sorts of great podcasts to listen to. Uh, gentlemen, I just came from a podcast on the Podcast Network. It was Ricky Valero as the host. And I got to tell you, I don't even know what platform I was on. It was, have you, have, do you know there are other platforms besides Zoom? Yeah. Yeah, There's who knew? Cool you like there. Microsoft Team or what were you doing? It wasn't even Teams. I don't know. I had to download Google Chrome. It was. Was it Google Classroom? T- Google Classroom is pretty good. No. Google Meets. There's all kinds R- of stuff. Ricky knows I, his stuff. He's on all sorts of different platforms. You're also, you're, you're really selling the 50-year-old white guys. <laughs> really you're like, I, I had to download a thing. And yeah, that's took, the other thing. And Ricky, he knows his stuff. It took me a minute, I got to tell you. <laughs> hey, speaking of being on podcasts, I am a guest on a new podcast that just dropped today called The Age Old Question, where my, for- my friends Rich Price and Clint Bierman ask a question about music and then oh. discuss it. And I have been brought on as a guest several times for season one, but um, they just dropped the first two episodes. Neat. So we're gonna, we got a little 50-year-old white guy cross-pollination guest uh, appearance going. So when uh, I will uh, I will tweet that and see if we can get some it, it's as if you, going back and forth. It's as if your race, age, and gender is opening up doors for you. <laughs> about time. How dare you, Tim? About, it's about time. Golly. We are being 
quite sarcastic just to make sure our new growing audience knows. Um, all right, 1994, so much going on. Let's start, though, with a Grammy winner that Ben Barton might even approve of. Get out! Come on right now. now. It's the Grammy winner. The Streets of Philadelphia by Bruce Springsteen. just discussing this song and the Neil Young song, um, City of Brotherly Love, with Georgia like two weeks ago. We watched Philadelphia. Okay. And she asked the story about these songs. And do you know the story? No. What's How the they story? ended up on the soundtrack? Or? So the director goes and he's got, the, he's got the plan, he's got the script, he's got the movie. And he sends a rough cut of the movie to both Springsteen and to Neil Young. And he's like, I need an anthem for these movies and this movie. And like, I want a rock anthem that expresses how you feel about it. Who, who is this? They, is this Jonathan Demi? Yeah. 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 Okay. They both come back with really, really slow, borderline sad ballads. Okay. And Demi's like, these are beautiful songs, but this is, this is not what I asked you for, fellas. Like, we want to sell this. I want to hear these songs on rock radio. And I want people to come and see Philadelphia. And I, can't, I think it was Neil Young. I think it wasn't Springsteen. But Neil Young was like, you haven't seen your own movie. You have no idea what you have. He's like, I I'm telling you, I've written the right song for your movie. And so is Springsteen. And watch your movie again. And then you'll understand. Isn't that amazing? That's wow. awesome. That is That's really awesome. cool. Story. And it's totally right. It couldn't be more right. Like the, the artist understood the movie better than he did. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Who's playing drums on that, Jeff Simons? It's a drum machine. It is, right? Why? Very famously a drum machine. Pourquoi? Oh, because it, it was, uh, well, because of Tennessee, that you're picked from the previous year. Like, that, <laughs> was, the, that was the sound of Top 40 Radio. And, um, and Springsteen it was, was not playing with the E Street Band at that point. And okay. the other band, the band he put together to tour with in 92 and 93, had not been um, a hit with his old audience. And so he was, he was kind of, this is the searcher years for Springsteen. He's got the drum machine. He does the Tom Joad record, which right, is all right. All folk. And he doesn't come back to touring with the East Street Band until the end of the decade. So, um, but like most artists who are borrowing a style rather than living in it, most uh -huh. of Springsteen's drum machine work is not good. I do like this song. I like this one, but I also think it gets way more credit than it deserves because it happens to be Bruce Springsteen. Um, sure. So. Well, and and the movie is just gut wrenching, and so it's a a dual package. You can't you can't disassociate one from the other. Um, it's right, really well, weird watching it with Georgia, though. 
she didn't understand at all. She was like, really? I was, like, like people used to really be that homophobic? And I was, I was like, gonna dude, ask, you have no idea what your you life no, you has no been idea. like. It's yeah. so funny. I'm teaching the Laramie Project right now. And, okay. and uh, it's amazing. Like, they, it doesn't, like, the, some of the voices, like, well, I don't know about this. Like, seems like it could be 50-50. The kid's like, well, that person's a sadistic monster. I'm like, 20 years later. I mean, it's amazing. Oh, dude, the Denzel Washington character so, expresses right. a bunch of homophobia in the movie. And right. Georgia was like, well, wh why did they do that? And I was like, so regular people would like it. Like, that's how rife with homophobia right. the right. world was. They were yeah. like, well, we can't have Denzel Washington be just a person who likes gay people. That would, like, not be no. good for the movie. Right. Like, like, like uh, we've seen a lot of hideous backsliding, but the LGBT community, like that stuff has been amazing and super heartening you know, mm -hmm, over the yeah. course of my lifetime. Yeah, it's amazing. My, my kids the other day, uh, there's, a, there's a, a student on campus who has been ostracized and is a little bit of trouble. And um, they were telling Helen, yeah, well, he uses the, the F slur. Oh. And she's like, oh, yeah, so, so is fuck that bad and they're like no mom the f-slur which is fascinating i love that right that that they can't even bring themselves to say it because it's such a bad word it's so awful how could anyone use such a word uh and i had to like mouth the words to my wife so she knew exactly what they were talking about it's a it's a sea change it's a wonderful sea change all right well, gosh, where to go next? By the way, if you're Neil Young, you're a little pissed, right? <laughs> like, why does he get the damn Grammy? Like, oh, the Neil Young one is great too, though. Yeah, it is. I actually, yeah. All right. They're, uh, they're two sides of the same coin. I think I like them equally. Yeah. I wonder what you guys remember most from 1994. If we could take five seconds of, of peaceful silence in the podcast as you think. And 1994, what comes back from that year? Well, a whole bunch of it. stuff I cannot share. Okay. okay. <laughs> 1994 had, a, um, had an uncharacteristically hedonistic uh, subculture for me, which um, Whoa. best left to memory. But, okay. That came up. <laughs> wow, so, that is the opposite for me. My own memory, I should say. Let's put this behind the paywall. is the the second semester of my first year in law school and the first semester of my second year in law school. So okay. this year I just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. Like all okay. I did was work. And of course I remember the Knicks finals. Like that's a one that will be burned oh, yeah. in my brain for Whoops. sure. Whoops. Okay. Oh, I just remember, I remember Ben calling me from law school when he needed a break. And I, I remember the first time he called, I was like, well, tell me about your days. Like, well, I live in this freezing basement room. <laughs> And I get up at five o'clock in the morning and I put Leash by Pearl Jam on full blast on my headphones until I'm, until I'm so awake I can feel my own eyeballs trembling. And then I work until I can't stand it. And then I have breakfast. All right. <laughs> I never, I it's so funny. Whenever I'm working really hard and I'm like, oh, I'm working so hard. Oh, poor me. I remember 20, whatever we were, Ben, like with his headphones on, like, drop the list, drop the list, while he's trying not to wake up the group house he's in. I'm like, I've got it pretty good. <laughs> okay, so uh, I, I was thinking, oh, navel gazers, about the world and the country. I talked about the world, the Knicks. What else is there? You didn't. You so, presented it like, what do you so, remember from 1994? This is the O.J. Yeah, Simpson year too, right? Didn't O.J. Simpson happen this year? Thank you. Yes, we've got a okay. little O.J. drama. Uh, do you remember where you were when I was at a Bronco? 
Yeah, vividly. I was at um, I was at a graduation party that the kids had thrown and were nice enough to invite me to, like the afternoon, like polite one for okay, sure for grownups. And uh, five minutes after it started, uh, we all started watching the Bronco. Yeah. What about you, Ben? Uh, Dude, it was in the middle of a freaking finals game. Yeah. They cut away from a Knicks finals <laughs> game right. to they, show the OJ chase. They stopped the game. <laughs> the guys were all on the court watching it on the jumbo, and Stern yeah. had to go down and, like, start this game right now. I mean, it's one of the most amazing American sports moments. Oh, that is a, Wait, they really paused the game? They yes. paused the game. Yeah. They and put then the they game ran in the, the game little game small, like, a little postage stamp, and then they had just a car driving down the road, and I was like, what? Oh. Come on, now? Like, Stern- stab some more people. Like, that's just not okay. <laughs> David Stern misplayed that. He should have paused and, like, let it ride, and then run the finals no back oh, wow, oh i know when he saved the integrity of the finals by making a play that, i that was would, i was waiting uh tables at the time and there was there was some poor service that night at stars restaurant sorry um, that's right you were at stars i was at stars um oh. kurt cobain committed suicide this year do you both mm. remember where you were when you heard that news in my apartment vividly in- woke up and uh this pre-cell phones and pre uh, check your internet. So I, I turned on the TV and, uh, and they were showing MTV unplugged at like a weird time of day. I was like, oh, that's odd. And then like, they kept cutting away, like, you know, with that sad photo of him in the, uh-huh. you know, 1967 and 1994. That's how I found out. Um, I, I was driving around, uh, for the Boston globe. I, I was working two jobs at the time. And I remember being in Harvard square and hearing it on the radio. And it was like, Whoa, um, this is also the year, uh, and you've already mentioned this, Jeff, where, where Tanya Harding's ex-husband hires men to take out Tanya's biggest rival, Nancy Kerrigan. Jeff Galuli, the greatest name for a stupid thug <laughs> in American history. It's just, a really good name for a stupid thug. Yeah. And he just takes a pipe and whacks her femur? Yeah, waxer, but he's so inept he can't even break. He can't break a hundred and five pound figure skater's femur with a lead pipe when he has a free shot and hires a six seven two hundred and sixty pound guy to do it. She skates. She skates to the Olympics like four weeks after that. He probably looked at her golden smile and just hesitated. I think that's what happened. What I love about Nancy Kerrigan is all those figure skaters had to pretend they'd be princesses, and she was like working class Boston. She was just a mush who could skate. And she, like, every once in a while, the real Nancy would come out. And that I always appreciated about that. Like, she was nails. She was competitive as hell, you know? I, I wonder what uh, Twitter would have been like with those three news stories we've just mentioned. Good God. I can't imagine. <sighs> um, all right. In other news, the channel opens. Very nice. Have you been in the channel, Ben Barton? I have. I took the Jeff train Simons? and I've driven it. Oh, We've been in the channel together, have together, we not? Together, indeed. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, not a euphemism for something else, dear readers. <laughs> yeah, Actually, no, sure. baseball goes on strike and cancels its season. Ugh. And the Whitewater investigation begins. Uh, ben Barton, did the Independent Council find anything in 1994? That was Kenneth Starr was the independent counsel for the Whitewater investigation. Well, I mean, they found a bunch of stuff eventually, but I think for Whitewater, they basically just put out a report that there was some shady stuff, but nothing clearly illegal. But ultimately, they get Bill Clinton for 
the Monica Lewinsky and lying under oath. Lying under oath. Yeah. Excellent. But they lost money on Whitewater, right? Like they may or may not have had a shady connection to the deal, but then they, it was a scam and they lost dough. So are y'all with me? I have a completely different take on this post-Trump. Go. Uh, so, and, uh, like, feel free to cut this. Sure. Um, we fired Phil Fulmer as the head coach of your Tennessee Volunteers. And then we hired Lane Kiffin. Sure. And I listened to the first interview with Lane Kiffin, and they have John and Jimmy. That's the name of the sports talk guy, drive time guys here. Okay. And so they bring That's the perfect. coach on, and John's like, uh, so, coach, welcome to the volunteers. Tell us, what's going to be your pitch for recruiting? And he was like, oh, I'm a huge scumbag with recruiting. <laughs> like, I'm just going to – it's a pre-professional school. Everyone's going to the NFL. That's the only thing we're selling. That's what it's all about. We're going to bring them in, grease skid to the NFL. It's me and Ed Orgeron, and we're just going to recruit everywhere nationally, five-star, five-star, five-star. All right. And Jimmy's like – well, coach, it seems like you forgot to mention the classes. I'm sure you're also going to pitch the institution. He was like, ha, 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 no. <laughs> School doesn't matter at all. All that matters is winning. Stop talking to me, yokel. And so I was like, well, this guy seems like he might not be a person of high integrity. Might not be. But a good I was guy. like, on the other hand, maybe we'll win a lot of games. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep an open mind to this <laughs> approach. And then the dude <laughs> left six months later on a plane to go be the coach of USC and they were burning yeah. mattresses and couches and thing. Oh, so anyhow, at that time, I was like, I'm never going to do that again. When someone says to their outside voice, I'm a scumbag. I'm going to be like, yeah. you're a scumbag. And I don't like that. I'm out. I'm right. Um, and now with the, the Trump thing, I'm like, Oh, well, Trump's like a person who, you know, cheats on his wife and cheats on his taxes. And is just a jerk. And then when I look back on it, I'm like, you know, I mean, Clinton's not quite as bad, but he was a bad person. Oh, yeah. He, he With his outside voice, he was like, I am a bad person. And then uh -huh. like, so you can't really criticize the Trump people if you're going to be like, when, when Clinton said it, I was like, well, you'd be a bad person for me. Like, I'm not going to worry about the personal right. stuff. Right, no. Um, so anyway, so for me now, like I've, I've reassessed that entire period and come to a much darker view of it. Well, you've described a terrible year so far. I mean, it really was like all the events that you brought out were like the beginnings of some things that we have not handled well. Like having that Bronco on eight hours for the entire eight hour chase is a exactly. precursor for 24 yep. hour TV. Yep. And like Cobain's death was a precursor Dark. for the mental illness that American life seems to breed in adolescence. And yeah. just Clinton, like, looking for the edges and looking for ways to not be held to the highest standard and still be able to stay in the deal. Be like incredibly that's selfish. Infe that's infected yep. everything from yeah. the white house to college football to, you know, you know, cutting in line with 11 items and a 10 items or less line. Yeah. Like it's really like, it's and, right. and as it was happening, we were all kind of like, huh. And we That's were young weird. and like working hard. Like, I mean, you're working two jobs and you're in law school. I'm in a third year. Well, well, let me give you the, the good parts of 94 real quick. Let's Ready? Yeah. The first multiracial elections in South Africa. Great turnout in that vote. Uh, the Irish Republican Army lays down its arms. This is pretty amazing. Th those two things are in the same year. That's yep. big time. That's big. Wow. Uh, and Lisa Marie Presley marries Michael Jackson. 
So okay, stretching, <laughs> stretching here. Is that the most awkward kiss? Oh God! Oh God! I don't. When Michael yeah. Jackson kissed her to start the Video Music Awards that year. Do you I remember mean, that, that. That could be our invitation to cynicism <laughs> that whole marriage, and whether that was right. But instead, we're gonna go to the number one hit in honor of Lisa Marie Presley and Michael Jackson. Hit it. It's the number one hit. I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. Close your eyes, make a wish, and blow out the candlelight. For tonight is just your night. We're gonna celebrate all through the night. Submit to your demands. I will do anything. Girl, you need only as I'll make love to you like you want me to. And I'll hold you tight, baby. All through the night, I'll make love to you. Is that also Boys to Men? Who the hell is it that? It is indeed. Nice Did they have job, the number ben one Barton. hit two years in a row? Yeah. Is well, no, last year was Whitney Houston, so they were the year before with the end of the road. So, and, but neither of these songs are their good songs, it's amazing. I don't know what their good songs are. Oh, boys, two men, like the, the, the Motown two, Philly, yeah, Motown, Motown Philly is a bad they're outside of Pat's and Gino's. That's that's a oh, yeah, good not uh, too hard and again. not too soft. You uh, know okay. what? It's kind of interesting here is like this song is like super syrupy sweet and they're all dressed like little preppies. And, uh, you know, it's, it's such a like, I, you know, I submit to you and your wish is my command and we'll slow the tempo down and okay. I'll, I'll clean up my toenails. And like, <laughs> where the hell did that go? Like, I mean, the language around hookups and, and popular music, that's far gone like it's uh, so much huh. more aggressive and so much like i mean my milkshakes got brings the boys to the yard is not this song and I, i'm just right when does this syrupy sweet like but milkshake was like 14 years ago wasn't old it old school thing go away completely hmm. it's right around here right we're not gonna have another hit like this again i wouldn't think um what about uh ed sheeran I think of it as a totally different thing, but yeah, okay. Ben's being strangely quiet. No opinion. He has no opinion. All right. Well, I was waiting to get the, ripped or agreed with, but instead, it was such a it was the, such a bad observation that no, Ben no, was like, that. It's "Eventually, like, uh, he'll stop talking." No, no. Bell Biv DeVoe was closely associated with Boys to Men. Yeah. And they put out a great record that was basically another one of these doo-wop R&B records. And Boys to Men was smart, and they steered into the soft side of it. Yeah. Belle Biv DeVoe read their Twitter mentions. Like, it was an early version of where the internet destroyed a career. And they were like, oh, we're too soft. We need to do a rap record. And so they actually put out a gangster rap record. The second Belle Biv DeVoe record oh, is a dear. gangster rap record. Oh, and dear. you can't believe how awful it is. Like, they just <laughs> murdered their careers. 
And so part of it's that too. Like yeah. the boys to men guys just got buried, buried under bad press. And 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 honestly, listen to these songs, rightfully so. They're really cheesy, soft songs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where it went. Yeah. And my and my silence, Jeff, was because I'm a 50 year old white man raised Catholic, and the whole the whole thing about talking during intimacy is just <laughs> really unsettling for me. <laughs> I'll make love to you. Stop. Stop. As soon as you got to I'll make love to you, you're like, hold the phone. Oh, whoa. Whoa. This is a non <laughs> Rosary event. beads. Rosary beads. <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. Let's go to the – I think this is my impossible question of the night. I'm going to give you the five movies nominated for Best Picture from this year. Um. Uh, first of all, you might know who won, uh, and I'm wondering if you think it was the right call. Here are the uh, five movies nominated for Best Picture. Four Weddings and a Funeral, oh. Quiz Show, Shawshank Redemption. Ooh, love Shawshank. It didn't win, but that's an... Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction. Gump so, won, and that's a Gump disaster. Won. Pulp Gump Fiction, won. at the time, it was obvious that Pulp Fiction should have won. But now, I, I don't know, Shawshank versus Pulp Fiction is a real question for me. Those are both just bangers. I love those movies. Me too. Awesome. I actually, yeah. and I think Forrest Gump gets a bad rap. Forrest Gump is interesting and it's, it's really well put together and it's, it's got some cheese in it. But it's also yeah. like, I think about Forrest Gump two, three times a month. Every time right. I go, so that's a terrible take, and I'm totally out on that take. <laughs> every that's time a I go, disaster. every time I go jogging, I think of him out there, Joe. Like it happens, and like all the jogging shit, and like every time, I, I, every time I see I'm a gonna, feather I, floating down toward I'm the sorry, sidewalk, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick up for Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is not as bad as people say it is, and it's not as good as people say it is. It's a perfectly okay. acceptable big budget movie with a kick-ass actor at the center and there he, are things he, he that crushes are it about it i agree with that but there are also things that are compelling and like when i saw forrest gump it came out of theater i was like that was good i think it so was dude i've got two great pulp fiction stories the first one is i showed pulp fiction to my daughters when no. they were 12 and 10 <laughs> okay two years we made yeah. it all the way into the od scene when yeah. she gets stabbed in the heart and the girls were like like knocked me over and paused it and they were like what are you doing like yeah. how did this happen to us what's wrong with you and this is an actual quote i was like just to make it clear stay off the hard stuff <laughs> so dahlia arrives at haverford and the first thing that happens at haverford it's like you know like kids today they like they have a whole bunch of sensitivity training and everything else and one of sure. the things they do is like a warning about drugs and alcohol and so they have like a senior who's a recovering alcoholic come and talk to them and they have a whole speech about drug use and alcohol use and never pressure anybody and that's what it's all about and then they're going to go around the feeling circle and each person shares their feelings so it's like Six people go before Dahlia and they're each like, well, I knew somebody who drank too much in high school and, and I knew somebody who puked once and that was horrible. They get to Dahlia and Dahlia tells the story <laughs> about watching Pulp Fiction and she's like, so I'm just going to follow my dad's advice and stay off the hard stuff. <laughs> Period. That was her message. Uh, ben Martin, father I, of the year. My Pulp Fiction memory is turning to my friend 
uh, Jackie that I went to see the movie with, after that scene, I was like, I have not had this much fun at the movies in my entire life. I remember watching Pulp Fiction the first time. I was like, it was exhilaratingly fun as hell. It was, yeah. it was just such a... Uh, he like let me entertain you movie and I, I still appreciate it for that but I think Shawshank's the best of the three with hindsight I Excellent. agree with Ben like that yeah. movie just it's so moving I think about Shawshank two or three oh. times a week <laughs> when I'm walking like, on the beach oh I know uh, I think about it anytime I'm like like I'm you know like I'm in a small space I'm like oh I'm like I've got that I've got my little spoon and like you know yeah. take, take it slow I love oh, I'll do the I, rain I, thing where I hold my hands oh, out yeah. in the rain. Every time there's a hard rain, I do that. I tell you what, after, you know, we do the podcast on, on Wednesdays and it's usually by Monday or Tuesday. I'm just like, I guess I miss my friends. <laughs> what about All you? right, moving Tim, on. What about you? What do you, on those three, what's your top Well, I, I feel there's a 1994 movie that get, got left off and I'm upset about that. Uh, Dumb and Dumber also comes out in 94. <laughs> that, a zillion times better than Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is- Right, that, I'll agree with that. How is yeah. that howling dog on that list? Because Quiz Show is a fine movie, but it's, it's, yeah. not, it's not in the same league, but I get why it's on there. But, but Andy weddings. McDowell at the end of the movie, is it raining? Oh. I hadn't noticed. Oh, that's I mean, brutal. I, I want somebody someday to release the B-roll of her doing that 175 times. <laughs> and that's the best take that they had to use in the movie. Well, it was raining. They just oh, did one she, take. Get out of here. All right. Uh, oh. We got to move on to the invitation to cynicism. I've asked you to prepare for this. Uh, Jeff, do you have the song ready? I have your song ready. Go ahead and play a few bars, would you? From the Jesus and Mary chain coming at us. And I I played that song uh because I, I was hurt last week. More so than when I was hurt with Islands in the Stream and your reaction, more so than I was hurt with my Garth Brooks pick. Last week I was hurt because I thought I was cool and edgy and, and and darn near awesome with my Buffalo Tom pick. And Jeff dismissed it out of hand by saying, oh, I like their early stuff, but this album kind of went mid-tempo. And then I started visiting my picks for the 90s and perhaps into the 2000s. I'm like, oh, God, are all my picks mid-tempo? And then I was like, wait, what is mid-tempo? And why is it bad? So the two of you, I want a definition of mid-tempo. And then I want an explanation for why it's bad and give me a good mid-tempo song uh, and a bad or just like worst case scenario mid-tempo song. Take it away. Ben, you go first. No, no, you do it, man. 
So the problem with mid-tempo for me is, and it's particularly a band like Buffalo Tom, where it's like bass, drums, guitar, distorted guitar, and the point is the energy for me, right? Like the point is get your blood rate up, and it's a Wait, little bit- Wait, do, do you need to define mid-tempo first? I mean, mid-tempo for me is a song that I wish was being played faster. I it's mean, totally. I was about to say, wait till you hear my selection for a mid-tempo okay. song, because it's actually a dirge. But I mean, like, <laughs> like, it's, it, like Buffalo Tom's a perfect example of it. If you go backwards and listen to that song, you can't dance to that. I went to see that tour live, and it was like kind of, you're like kind of bumping into people, and you're nodding your head. And like, Jeff's right. For that setup, <laughs> you really need to shred. You need to bring it and just come forward. And it's, you know, like if it's not dance music, it's got to be faster than dance music where it's like almost borderline punk. Um, coming in at that slow tempo is just not a good look for that uh, instrumentation. So I don't mind a mid-tempo song in some and my song genres. This, like my song this year is mid-tempo. I'm pretty sure Jeff's is mid-tempo yep. too. But it doesn't, it, it, it's not it's not rock music it's, it's not, not rock music yeah i mean mine's a rock and roll song but it's a very specific kind of rock and roll song that works in the middle i'm sorry wait mid-tempo is not rock no no it's that's not, it doesn't even have anything to do with like rock or the genre you it just said it wasn't like, rock music it's not okay here's what i mean tim's bringing it he's angry i love he, it i love he it poked the bear we got him this is great so <laughs> here let me play my example you'll see what i mean okay great Here's a, mid, here's a song, here's a band that is on everybody's critics best of the 90s. This is from a record that I'm supposed to love that's always in the top 40 or 50 of best of the 90s. And okay. I think it's a total snooze fest. It has one, <laughs> it has one great song and one good song and nine boring as hell mid-tempo songs. And the band okay. is Teenage Fan Club. Okay. And it's a record called Bandwagon-esque. And here's the song, Alcoholiday that is designed for me like it is like hey you're a you're a lonely rock and roll guy who likes big star and bands nobody's ever heard of this is your food and i just cannot i can't do it because i think it's too slow here we go Oh my God, Jeff, I so agree. This song, I'm like, beer break. Yes. <laughs> it is it's like in the concert yeah. when the band hits the middle and everyone sits yeah. down. That's yeah. the tempo. It is, yeah. man. It, it's music. I hear to, it now. Yeah. It's music to sway to. It's yes. not like, I can't bang my head to this. I can't. I, I mean, I could be like, I appreciate this. So you then, know? then the, the lyrics better be transformative in a mid-tempo yep. song. Because if or, I'm gonna sway, I wanna be moved intellectually. Or you have to have some dynamics. Like a mid-tempo song has to get quiet and then it has to build okay. and be loud and then it needs to come. But, but, but bands like Buffalo Tom, to their credit, like, you know, they come in hot and stay hot yeah, for the most part, right? right? But if you're, if you're not exciting and you're just one note, by minute three, I'm like, I'm, I'm done here. I mean, I feel that way about a lot of slow songs. Like, if a slow song is just 
a thing sure, sure. For, for four minutes. It's like a lot, why a lot of modern mumble rap is like impenetrable for me because I'm uh, like, yeah. you've been sad for seven minutes, man. I'm ready for something new. <laughs> so and and I your, feel that way about this. So, What's your mid-tempo song that you appreciate? Uh, or is that going to be your pick? Just is that going to be your pick? That one's yeah, perfect, be, don't you think? My pick's perfect for that. Okay, yeah. well, let me hear Ben. Ben, what's your bad example of mid-tempo? Uh, Black Hole Sun. Oh! <laughs> perfect. And at, at one point, one of our listeners had pushed back and said that Soundgarden was actually the hidden um, grunge thing, and they were better than Nirvana or Pearl Jam. So I went back and listened to it, and I was like, huh, I, like, I remember kind of liking them. And then I, list, I was like, oh, this is why I didn't like them at all. Like, that song then, is just, it's a dirge. It's brutal. This is, your bu- this is your buddy, right, Jeff? Yeah. So we got to bring him on to defend himself, maybe. Yeah, we got to bring him on. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, tease this. But this is Soundgarden's Black Hole Sun. And already, already you're like, come on. In my eyes, indisposed, in disguises no one knows. Has the face, lies the snake, in the sun, in my disgrace, boiling heat. And I like a lot of songs on this. This is the record Super Unknown. But it- but Sorry, I like the one. I like the I'm ones gonna, that try to kick a little ass. That's I got to push always... back a little bit. Is that mid tempo or is that just slow? Basically, I mean, it, this is what I said. I'm cheating because I chose a dirge. Okay. But it's like you can feel the bit in the horse's mouth. Like, like let, let, let it go. You know Let's what go. I mean? Like, and also, like, if you had to sit through, I, I have not seen them live, but if I had uh-huh. to sit through that song live, I would be like, I'm going to go read my phone on the toilet. Like, there's no <laughs> way I'm sitting through six minutes of that song. Not okay. <laughs> Kyle, I promise we'll bring you on for five minutes next week. God, to retort, Kyle. I know. Like, what am I walking into? This is his dream come true. It's great, but um, okay, great. Anyway, right. yeah. So that that was my Buffalo. I mean, I didn't mean that to burst your your cool, but you're cooler than any of us will ever be, Tim. But okay, that was, but the early Buffalo Tom is unhinged and right on the edge and might fall apart at any second. And learning how to play under control and put the song first actually turned out to be a detriment to that band for me, which is not usually the case. But, but Big Star is a mid-tempo band, correct? Uh, some of that it, was yeah. tough, Tim. Now you're really putting them on the grill. You're firing right. it up. No, that's fair enough. I think there are some <laughs> songs that are like that, but I also think that there's uh, – there's a there's a quality of singing and harmony building and just okay. pop beauty that Buffalo Tom can't even get close to that elevates Big Star. I mean, there's three, four, five part harmony stacked on those records that are just like angelic and like that's just not what Bill Janovitz is up to. You know the the uh, the guy in the conservative blog um, in the comment section said we were wannabes. And maybe I do want to be Roy Firestone and ask the tough questions. Oh my maybe God, this so is my calling. He, by the way, he's going to bring up that comment section like another eight times. Oh, he, yeah, he's no, not going to get sure. over it. That one stung. That cut, you can tell. Son of a gun. All right, let's go to 20, 21, 21 five-star reviews and one guy's like, yeah, they're posers and Tim can't sleep. Don't read the comments. Our three songs. Our three songs. Let's go. Who goes first this week? 
Ben goes first. I went first last week. Let's go, All Ben. Right. So um, you may have noticed from 1985 to 1992, it's just one fun song after another. Lots of up-tempo, happy songs, even all the way through 92 where we get to the Beastie Boys. 93, we get that relatively slow Uncle Tupelo song. And again, I tell a long story about how it got me through a lot. Dude, it's emo time here in the mid-90s for sure. Let's go. 1994 Let's go. is a, a hard year. And so I'm going to choose – if you thought that uh, – the Sunvolt song was obscure. I'm choosing an extremely obscure song from a record that barely sold, from a band that hardly anybody thinks is amazing. I looked it up. This is the 38th ranked record by Rolling Stone this year. And on the Wikipedia page for the album, it's, this is one of the, like, you know, in the critical acclaim part. It's one of the 50 best records of 1994, according to Guitar World. And I was like, ow, that hurts. And by the way, second, I think maybe even third Guitar World reference on the, on the pod. So that's a good sign. I'm loving those references. Yes. They're suddenly relevant again. It's yeah, great. totally. So yeah, so the Black Crows get signed in 1990. And they record Shake Your Money Maker. They're from Marietta, Georgia. And they're basically kind of in that cluster of Georgia bands, but they're a very different scene than R.E.M. Um, they get signed by George DeCrulius. How do you pronounce his last I name, I think Jeff? that's how you pronounce it, yeah. yeah. And so he's uh, like a, a protege of Ruben, and he gets, they get signed to Deaf American, which eventually becomes American Recordings. And so DeCrulius hears them, and he's like, uh, to the guitarist, he's like, Rich Robinson, you need to do the open tuning G, which unlocks their sound, but also makes them, and this is not to be mean to them, but super derivative of the Rolling Stones. Like the first record is a, just a Rolling Stones cover record. And uh, even me, young Ben Barton, I really liked it, but I was like, ah, it's just a little bit cheesy. And um, the first single is Hard to Handle, which is a cover of a much, much, much better version um, by Otis Redding. And Jeff and my uh, common friend, Eric Becker, was like, I was like, oh, dude, have you heard this? And he was like, if you don't like the Otis thing, just don't even talk to me at all. And he was just completely right about that. <laughs> so this is 1990. 1991, they tour Europe on the Monsters of Rock tour. This is where they are. Dude, they opened for Metallica, ACDC, Motley Crue, and Queensryche. Wow. So they're really kind of lost. Yeah. 92, they put out um, Southern Harmony, a musical companion, which, oh, and, and, and the first record's a massive gargantuan hit, sells 5 million records. The second record's a massive gargantuan hit, sells another 5 million records. All right. Um, the single off of that is Remedy. And again, it's like... It's like a souped up Rolling Stones kind of kind of thing. I actually oh, I, really liked it. I think they become the faces on the second record. Okay, either way. But I love I mean, it but too. It's, cl it's clearly a throwback. It's they're, they're sure. throwback retro act for sure. Um, they go to back into the into into the studio and they decide to cut a new sound. They're trying to be more exploration. Okay, so there's a fight. Oh, it, dude! Like someday when we finish, when we get through 50 years of music. We've uh -huh. got to have a podcast about sibling bands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's an all-timer. I actually like <laughs> spent 15 minutes on Wikipedia reading the Wikipedia list of sibling bands. I'm going to go ahead and put down my marker. Okay. Jeff, what's your favorite band with a sibling in it? Think oh, I, 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 thought you were gonna, I thought you were like favorite band with the, where the siblings hate each other. Either one. 
Oh, well, I mean, I think Oasis is the classic. Okay. Oh, but hold on, hold on. I mean, the best one. You got to choose the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys has got to be your selection. Uh, oh, okay. Do okay. I have that right or do I have that wrong? I have to think about it, but you probably have it right. Yeah. Over the Kinks? Oh, dude, there's a million of them. I'm going to choose uh, Van uh, Halen. See, Van Halen's the name of the okay. band, and that's my favorite. But I mean, dude, like ACDC. The In Excess? There's multiple sister yeah. bands. There's yeah. the... Uh, the Sister Sledge and the Pointer Sisters, which I was like, oh, those are different. I thought maybe they were all the same. <laughs> <laughs> There's the I mean, Radiohead. Radiohead's got a, a siblings in it. Um, so, yeah. So, this okay. is a classic one where these two guys are just fighting with each other. They've had some really good success working together. Now they're recording the third record. So, Chris Robinson, the singer, decides that he's the true artist in the band and he produces the record. And Rich Robinson, the guitarist, is like, this is super soft. Oh, and dude, like the quotes from Chris Robinson about this are so unbelievably hilarious and funny. Uh, he's like, I was really wanted to get more of a French horn piano sound. <laughs> I wanted to get rid of the big black crow sound with the guitars. Like, so first of all, if you're the guitarist, you're like, well, that's uh, thanks for telling me that. That what you wanted, you want to replace me with a French horn. Good luck with that. <laughs> So they cut a record called Tall. They turn it into American Recordings and the record company bounces it. And no, oh. this is the Rubin Record Company. So it's not like Sony Music, in my opinion. Um, and again, I love the record that comes afterwards. So I actually think they were right. I've heard all of the Tall stuff and it's not, it doesn't even touch Amorica. Like it's not even the neighborhood. Yep. So they push it back and they're like, that's not okay. So they hire Jack Puig, who is a, a, like a master... Uh, producer, crazy guy. Like I looked at his Wikipedia page. He oh, he's started nuts. in Christian rock, uh -huh. and then uh, has records all the way into the 2010s, including like Tegan and Sarah and a bunch of weird stuff, oh, like that Owl City record from 2012. He produced. So I know I know people who know him really well. Like I've never met him, but I've worked with engineers who work with him a lot, or like bands. Like I actually like know the some of those guys and they say they'll be in a session and he'll just stop. Like, do you hear that? Do you hear that something? Do you hear that feedback? And nobody can hear anything. And he will chase <laughs> a frequency he thinks he can hear in the corner of the room for like four or five hours trying to redial the board so there's no interference. And literally everybody's standing around like, there's no sound. Like he's just like chasing ghosts in the room. Like he, it's, it's good stuff. So they re-record the whole record they go on tour, they re-record the whole record, they record some new songs, and the record comes out as Amorica. And um, it's the third record. It's easily their best record. It's, um, you know, it's not an exaggeration to say, it's one of my five favorite records. Like, uh, wow. over the course of loving this record, there's been like, I don't know, five different songs that have been my favorite one on it. It's been really, really, really meaningful to me. There's a whole bunch of songs in this record that are still on my stupid running mix that I just listened to on loop. Um, and so my favorite song, the song that is really, really, really stuck with me is Cursed Diamond. And it's a six minute song, mid tempo, that starts slow and quiet, ends slow and quiet, and then just goes nuts in the middle. Jeff, if you will, I'm going to ask you to start at minute 215. Don't start yet. So it, it's a build song. And if, if you think of it like a curve, it, this is the very middle of the song. So at the beginning of the song, 
he starts describing his own personal mental state. So he's like um, describing with I statements about how he feels about himself. Um, so he's got a whole list of those. Uh, it's, I lose myself. I forget myself. Sometimes I fought myself. I fault myself. I fight myself. Then it goes into a faster, happier chorus. And then it goes into a really happy third chorus. Then it returns back and the middle is another verse. Now it's going to start really negative. Like the verse here, it starts with, I hate myself. And that's the mood of the middle. But then Jeff's going to play it through till we get to the cheerful part. And then I'll explain why this is, if not my favorite song on the very short list of my favorite songs ever, Ooh. Minute 215, please. Cursed Diamond by the Black Crows. The last line of the song is, "I'll end. Uh, roll me in your splendor, baby. We'll sur you'll surrender, and I'll show you victory." Like it's this crazy yeah. combination of things where he's got these this verse part where it's searing, like his description of his own mental state, like just he can't stand himself. Um, but then the chorus parts built on it where he's like, I let the poison go and I have this beautiful relationship and like, I'm shining for you. Like right. the mix of those things has always really, really, really just spoken to me. I love this one. It stayed with me. Uh, it's haunted me, but it's also helped me. Like this is one of my favorites. I Thank love you. this record so much. Um, I would have picked high head blues probably is my song from the record because the way they slow down in halftime of the chorus just absolutely kills me. It feels like you start ice skating on mud. But the 94 is the year I started playing, guesting in a band called Sweet Virginia, which was the first really great band I ever got to play in. Um, and Paul Armada, the bass player in that band, and I uh, bought Amorica and we, we played a show and then we bought Amorica. And of course, no, no email or anything. So I call him on the phone. I'm like, have you heard this Black Crows record? He's like, I am listening to it right now. <laughs> I see him the next record for a show. 
And I'm like, can you believe how good this record is? And he's like, I have to make a confession. This record is so good. I haven't gotten past track three. I'm just playing the first three songs over and over and over again. And I started laughing because that was me too. I played Gone, Conspiracy, Hi-Head Blues, and I just and I had to stop and start over. I liked them so much. And so I didn't oh, get dude, to it. Oh, dude, Cursed Diamond is the fourth it's song. I, didn't yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I didn't get to it for two weeks. And when I got to it, I was like, good Lord, this whole record. If it weren't for the record that came out that my song comes from, this would be my favorite record of 1994. And it is so underrated. And I do not understand why it, it I don't, I kind of understand why it tanked because it's so much more challenging than the first two records, but this should have solidified this band as a perennial rock band for rock music fans forever. And instead it started a slide that, I mean, they just went whoop. They went right off the table. I mean, they were. I didn't even, I didn't even see this album in my research. Thousand in a place that holds like eleven hundred people, you know. But dude, there's something likable about that too. Like, yeah. I weirdly like the Chris Robinson bands, and they like in 1991 they played Monsters of Rock. In 1997 they're on the Further Festival. Like they yeah. become a full-on hippie band. Right. Hippie. And it's yep. weird. I don't like jam bands generally and i definitely have no can at all for a 17 minute song but these guys like i love them so much like it's weird like they, they break a lot of rules for me and yet i just can't i can't help but love them. i've seen the chris robinson band like four times like i really 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 yeah. like that dumb band i've seen the black crows i don't know four or five times like i just i really 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 love it that guy's voice is so unbelievably beautiful yeah and chris robinson just shreds like these songs these parts man can he play it's not um it's not like the van halen version of it but it's so tasty the parts yeah. that he brings to it and this one where they get over the trying to imitate things to me is just like where they really 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 hit their peak i actually Chris, rich robinson had a band called hookah brown that never even got the record out because it fell apart like in pre-production, but I saw them play at South by Southwest and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was like a, uh, it was like a European Black Crows. Like the singer was from England and the bassist was from Ireland and there was an American kid on drums and Robinson, and, but they were phenomenal. It was the best set I saw that year at South by. And uh, I got, these guys are great. They're great separately. They're great together. Um, just banger pick. Is it top 10 song for you, Ben Barton? Top yeah. 10 song? And dude, I've said wow. with my outside voice, this is my favorite song ever. Wow. Wow. All right. I got it. I've never heard the song before. I love that little clip. I can't wait to listen to it on a loop. And then I'll go back and listen to the first three songs, Jeff Simons, just for you. Oh, great record. Yeah, it wasn't. I, I did my research. I did not see oh, dude, that. It's not like, this is a complete, like you, you can make fun of me for left field. This is like, um, I actually have eliminated some picks like this that are super, super, super personal. This one I couldn't get rid of. I was like, yeah, I'm leaving. Good this. for you. And dude, next Good year I'm going to cheat, kind of cheat and choose uh -huh. another song from this year from 95. Yeah. But this one I, w I left it in there and I was like, I don't even care. I love that one. I, I felt the same way about islands in the stream. That's right, <laughs> right no, you did you. not. <laughs> Jeff Simons, what do you got? Okay, so it's a perfect week for us to be recording this podcast oh, by 1994 because the okay. record I'm going to talk about is, is, uh, is really being celebrated this week because it came out last Friday as of this recording as a five CD box set anniversary edition. Um, 
So this is the only artist I'm going to double dip. Um, and it's partially because it, I might be discovering since he died that, that this is my all timer. I always thought the who were my favorite band and they probably still are. Uh, and then Dylan Elvis Costello and I always threw Tom Petty in there. Um, but as I look back over the body of work and I think about the songs that like really mean something to me, Tom Petty is in the conversation for my all time favorite artist. And part of it is just the age I am. And when I first heard him um, and there's a little bit of like biographical similarity between us that makes me feel kinship with him. But it really is also about like, this is a guy who never made a bad record. Some of his records are better than others. He has some periods where he doesn't put out as much material as, he, as other moments, but pretty much the guy is relevant from 1976 until his death. Like the last record he made, Hypnotic Eye in 2014, is a really great record with half a dozen really good songs on it. I saw the Farewell Tour and he was excellent. And he actually played the song I'm gonna play. I'm so grateful to, I saw, I saw his next to last live performance and he played this song at it. And that's amazing. Is that meant true? A lot. Yeah. And it was my that's birthday. That's like it was a complete song for you. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it was my actual birthday that he played. It was crazy kind of confluence of things. But anyway, so Tom Petty is a huge star and, uh, and he's coming off uh, the biggest record, two records of his career in 1989. He makes a solo record called full moon fever in his basement with Jeff Lynn from ELO doing all the production, Mike Campbell doing all the guitars and their drum tech, Phil Jones playing the drums because he didn't feel like calling the Heartbreakers. And he gave it to Warner Brothers and they rejected it at first. They were like, this does not sound like a Tom Petty record. Where's the rock and roll? Where is the big hit? And he has to, he has to play hardball like you, you release this or I'm done with you. And they reluctantly put out a record that starts free falling. I won't back down. <laughs> Love is a long road. I mean, the biggest record sells 15 million copies. Then he puts out a greatest hits record, which has Mary Jane's last dance on it. That sells 15 million. No, that's, wait, isn't that after the. That's 89. Yeah, I'm sorry. Then there's Great White Open, which I sorry. don't love as much, but has Into the Great White Open and King's Highway and huge hit. Then he puts out the greatest hits record. That's a huge hit. This is a guy who at that point- Oh, and sorry, pause. The, yeah. When the greatest hits record comes out, and Jeff will back me on this, I think. In this era, like there's a Billy Joel greatest hits record. Yeah. There's a Rolling Stones greatest hits record. There's a Petty greatest hits record. And to the fans, it reads as a white flag. It's yep. like, oh, I'm done doing useful things. Here's a greatest hits record. And we couldn't have been more wrong with Petty. Go ahead. Right. And that, in fact, I was just, it's kind of just what I was going to say. is like, you expect that this is the hang it up. Like I'm now a nostalgia act. I'll play the sheds every other summer. I'll play the, the 15 songs that are on this greatest hits record. Instead, Petty's like, I need to reconnect with the band. I'm going to call it a solo record, but I'm going to call up Mike. I'm going to call up Ben Mont. He and Stan Lynch, the drummer of the Heartbreakers, have a falling out. They can't recover from it. So he, he tries to make the record with Stan. They track a whole bunch of material and they just enter it throats with each other and they give up. Then he starts bringing in famous guest drummers. He brings in Kenny Arnoff from John Mellencamp's band. He brings in Ringo Starr. They're great, but it's not the right thing. And, but all this time, he is now working with, and here he comes again, Rick Rubin. He's the producer of this record. And Rubin just keeps saying, well, just keep writing. I'll just keep recording. Just keep writing. You just sold 27 million records. There is no rush. 
And so Petty keeps writing and he keeps writing and he keeps trying out drummers. And he finally hits on a guy named Steve Ferroni who comes in to finish the sessions. And Mike Campbell, Ben Montench, Tom Petty, and Steve Ferroni with Rick Rubin producing spend a year and a half at Sunset Sound tracking material. And uh, when they're done, they have 25 songs. And Petty's like, I'm putting this out as double. I'm putting out a double album. It's going to be two hours long. I'm so excited. He brings it to his new record company, Warner Brothers. And they say, you got to cut this down to a, to a single CD at least, if not a single record. Like, it's too big. It's too much material to digest. Like, the great songs will be lost. And, and, this, and what's really interesting, and I think is a, a testament to the difference between being 45 years old and being 25 years old, when the record company in 79 was like, you have to put this, you have to sign this contract or else, Petty was like, fine, I'll go park cars. And he walked away and they caved. In 1980, when they're like, we're, we're going to raise the price of albums from 898 to 998, and we're using your record as the flagship, he was like, I will call my record 898 if you try to do that. <laughs> And they caved. That's so great. <laughs> this time, when they tell him you have to change your record, he's like, okay. And so he reluctantly takes 25 songs and he breaks them down to 15 songs and he puts out the record Wildflowers. And when I bought Wildflowers, I instantly, I just loved it. I was captivated by it. And I kind of thought it was probably his greatest record. But that's a kind of a crazy thing to say for a guy who's already released Damn the Torpedoes at that point, and he's put out Southern Accents. And, you know, like, and he's at this point, he's past that greatest hits moment. But I loved Wildflowers from the jump. I love it more now. And I have cycled through a bunch of different songs as my all time favorites. Um, but, and I already knew this was my song, but this new box set is uh, Wildflowers and All the Rest is the 25 song version. The first CD is the original Wildflowers. The second CD is a, is a record Petty assembled right before he died called All the Rest. And the next project he was going to do was taking the Heartbreakers out in small theaters and doing these 25 songs as a show. He was going to actually do the Wildflowers tour and kind of give everybody the full story. The third desk, disc of this box set is all the home demos of all these songs, including four or five songs that he didn't bring to the Heartbreakers. The fourth disc is a live concert assembled from several dates of the Wildflowers material. But the fifth disc is the crazy one. It's called Finding Wildflowers. And it's the takes right before the released takes. And I'm just, I'm only five days into it. And there's no way these songs in two or three days are going to like eclipse these versions I've listened to hundreds of times. I cannot believe how fantastic the, the almost versions are. Oh, of these songs, so great, including the one I'm going to play. So this record has enormous hits on it. You don't know how it feels. You wreck me the title track. Um, but my favorite song is the next to last song. It's the song crawling back to you. And very similar to Ben, there's a couplet in this song or a court. There's a quatrain in the song that I should have, I should make my screensaver because it has saved me from overthinking myself so many times. And it is, I'm so tired of being tired, sure as night follows day, most things I worry about never happen anyway. And that, if there is a lesson I've learned about adulthood, that's it. I mean, it really is like, I have, I mean, every week I get into this podcast and you're like, fellas, how you doing? And what I want to say is, I'm so tired of being tired. 
but sure as night follows day, most things I worry about never happen anyway. And if there's a, a thing I need to repeat to myself as a mantra in 2020, it is that. There are so many real things to worry about that if you let your demons and your self-doubt and your the voice in your head that won't shut down at 2 a.m. take over, you will never make it through. And so this song is imagistic. Most of Tom Petty's songs are spectacular little stories told like you know you can actually follow the scene this one's a little bit more ethereal in that regard but i just it's beautiful and here's your mid-tempo song tim that takes these these moments um and i love how it starts it starts just strangely and with found sounds and unassumedly and then the band locks in to just the quintessential heartbreakers groove at this point like just veteran expert musicians playing the song, not their instruments, and just doing it perfectly. Crawling Back to You by Tom Petty. So great. What a great song. That's a great song. And I mean, since he died and since I've turned 50, you know, and I'm, I'm aging and, you know, I'm on the other, I'm almost certainly on the other side of the mountain. Like there's something about the, I've always felt like Tom Petty was 15 years ahead of me, warning me about what was about to come. Like his records right. felt like warnings from the future. Like when you get to this age, here are the things that'll drown you if you're not careful. And I'm, I'm still, I'm, I continue to be surprised at how choked up I am that he's not there to make that next record to help me figure out what's coming next. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> so I'll say three things. Um, the Secret Weapon and, I, I mean, I love Petty, but Mike Campbell is oh. just an amazing guitarist. And there's a bunch of flashy songs. And in a second, maybe, Jeff, you can play just the first 10 seconds of Mary Jane's Last Dance. Yeah. Um, just so you get a flavor. And then, you know, like... Uh, like there's just a million songs where his solos really, really, really fly, but you can especially hear it in this kind of song. Like if you go back and listen to it again, the beginning, like that, like he's like, like, like his little tiny guitar part that's on top of it is so like delicate and filigree and perfect and super unusual. Like I, I can't remember another guitar part that sounds exactly like that. Yeah. And you know, what's amazing. I'm reading the booklet of this box set. All of his solos in this record are first or second takes. Oh, dude, totally. What Mike wow. Campbell does is like, he's like, I just have to listen until I understand the song. And then usually I know what to play. Can you believe that? Like wow. almost every guitar choice on this record is after he lets himself sit with the song and understand what Tom's trying to say. Those two guys, the telepathy they developed from being 17 years old together and that they were able to, to stay so close and so supportive of one another. It's one of the great 
rock and roll love stories. Well, and you know, when the Heartbreakers break up, he actually writes, this is Campbell, writes Boys of Summer, yep. and, then, and then takes it to Don Henley instead of Petty. And Petty's like, what are you doing? Like, let's, let's not have that happen again. <laughs> like, Mike Campbell is a super, super extra mega talented guy. Like, it's yeah. just a crazy blessing of those two guys together. That's the first thing I'll note. Second thing I'll note is, um, and Jeff, this is too personal, tell me, but this is a Petty divorce record. Yeah, breaking up from his wife, and it's a little bit like blood on the tracks. Like the songs aren't a hundred percent about that, but they, when you mash it all together, you're like, this is a person who's going through something for sure. And this is a divorce song to me, like the crawling yep. back to you thing. Um, and I actually have always associated this song with you, and I wondered if you had like if that was part of the meaning of it for you. Unquestionably, I th the, the actual divorce record for me is David Gray's White Ladder which has a lot of the same qualities, but there's no question that when I, when I first heard this record, I wasn't married yet. And, and uh, I understand it now after my own life experience in ways I couldn't have understood it then, but that's what I mean by the warning. Like right. it was there, it was trying to tell me and I couldn't hear it. And then after I went through that and went back and listened to it again, I was like, Oh man, it was right there. It was right. I, if I had been able to, to hear it a little bit more clearly, I, I know. Right. I would I would have been more prepared, you know. The last thing I'll say is um, we've discussed a lot of artists here and we haven't gone fully into how they went out. I mean, to have Petty die of an opioid overdose and Prince, and it's like not 100% clear how George Michael died, but I mean, we've had multiple artists on here who have died in that fashion. And it's just so grim to me. Yeah, it's it's like this it, it's right in the same thing with the Cobain thing, and it may it might even be worse than the suicide thing. I don't know. I'm like I'm mixed on it, but like as a death of despair to have Petty go out that way, like it just really really crushes me. I can't say how hurt I was when he yeah, died, and how I really, sad I was about it. And I am not somebody that feels the death of non-family members like, or celebrities. Like I'm not one of those people that's like gutted ordinarily i'm like oh how about that or and sometimes it's sad and and in fact i expressed last week like i have i have anger for cobain i still do but oh, me, yeah. right, this right. one just i was at lunch you know who i was having lunch with i was having lunch with kyle who may or may not be coming on next week to defend about like we were having lunch and our fucking phones like he got like whoa tom petty is a text and he's like something terrible happened to tom petty and it's like i cannot deal with that right now and i can't like yeah. We're like sitting there having Korean food. Like I need to go home immediately and find out, A, if this is true and B, B by myself. And it just really, I'm not over it. I'm still not over it. I still like, I'm still waiting for him to announce that, you know, Ugh. he's got a new record and he's got a new plan. So I'm so grateful for the family for figuring out their own internal grief, coming to grips with it, becoming a partnership again and putting this record out. It is a, gift like having all this extra music from this moment i just it's been on lockdown for me since i got it on friday and right, I'm, uh, right. and it doesn't feel nostalgic to me at all it feels like just fresh brilliant art still well here's what we got to do uh we got to play that that mike campbell married mary jane's last dance is that what we're gonna do
Oh, Bad just vicious. Vicious. Oh, so good. Uh-huh. So Brian Koppelman tweeted out that Mike Campbell put out a new album today. Yeah, The Dirty Knobs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said he was really excited. He loves Mike Campbell's guitar playing, and he's like compartmentalizing. Okay, Tom Petty is not there, and yet I can try to appreciate this. And it's, it's, I'm sure it's really, really hard, uh, but Mike Campbell can, can carry the day, I guess. Have you listened to it yet, Jeff? Uh, no, I haven't, but I'm excited to. Okay. All right, Timmy. All right, let's do this. Uh, I am. Uh, it's it's a small bit of cheating, but it was within the rules that we originally stated. I'm going to go with a song released in December of 1993 that becomes a gargantuan hit in 1994. Mr. Jones by Counting Crows. Four, go. song is i think it comes out as the initial single from the album and it's in december but it doesn't hit its highest point in the charts until may of 1994 anyone guess how how high it got mr jones top 20 i think yeah number five number five on the uh, u.s charts that song was everywhere did you guys like it i did Oh, yeah, me too. In fact, I, I liked it so much, I resented it because it was the band I wanted to be in and wasn't. The you know? band you wanted to be in and wasn't? Oh, Is yeah. Like, I was like, that when I, I think when that song came out, I turned to Ben. I was like, how am I not in this band? <laughs> like, this is a Bay Area band playing music I was born to play. And now, of course, not to be uh, an asshole who name drops, but like, I'm friends with like five of the guys in this band now. And like, I think about like, why was I not hanging out in the right place at the right time when these guys were looking for a bass player? Because I would have really liked to have been in this band for a really long time. But yeah, I is, loved it. This is your music. This is my wheelhouse, baby. I yeah. love this record. Yeah, I've got a kind of Crow song coming up. Oh, and so do I. That's exciting. Huh. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. Uh, I'm a huge Cannon Crows fan. And since I've already told my uh, hangout with Cannon Crows story, I don't need to tell it again. Do I? No, you don't. But here, what's so interesting to me is like, you love this song and it, it hits it hits all of the notes that I um, like. I think for you, there's a there's this, you're feeling the straight line from Van Morrison to this, and what I think Ben and I feel is the straight line from the band to this and Dylan to this. And huh. but it's all in there. And uh, well, so he I says I want to be Bob Dylan. 
yeah but i mean i think it's just interesting that like there there's a version there's a van morrison thing that goes to a place that ben and i appreciate less that you love and there's a <laughs> there's a villain thing that goes to a space that you don't like either right where you're uh -huh. like hey man sing me a tune will you and but <laughs> counting crows is like the sweet spot between the aesthetics that i love and the and the song craft and tunesmithing that you love and it's why they're so great i mean well, especially on these early albums man they're killing it well plus the apparently when we hung out in um in ireland in 97 uh apparently this is based on what my sister told me when she hung out with them in dublin uh the the drummer developed a crush on me and not many famous musicians have developed a crush on me and so i think that's kind of cool and they're my favorite i'll, I'll, band call, because it, of I'll call and ask <laughs> his number's in my phone i'll ask him if he had a crush on you <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Timmy, well done, man. That was nice great. job. Fly that was a I lot of fun. I love it, baby. As I always say, I needed this so much. Thank you, friends. All right, Indeed. friends. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Good night. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.